And welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses. It is Tuesday, March 29th of the year 2022. Ryan Baffalucas joined by Lucas Rohde all the way from Nashville. And Lucas, some new digs for you. Take us through the move. Take us through the new place. How's it going over there? It's going good. Um, probably the smoothest move I've ever had. I hate moving, much like I think 99% of the population. Um, it's almost like ripping off a Band-Aid. You just want to get it over with. Um, but, you know, uh, obviously a pretty easy move. We had a couple weeks to um, that we could still live in our other place that we had to move over here. So, um, yeah, no, it, it's been pretty good. We pretty much have everything set up here. Just have a couple things to hang on the wall, all that stuff. The dogs love our new backyard, so that's what really good. Um, we have work to be done, you know, just homeowner stuff. Uh, work to be done in the backyard uh, in a couple weeks, but um, no, really, really excited, especially with um, uh, spring and summer here coming up. Just can't wait to uh, be able to host some people over. Where my last house, we had you were there. You have like four or five people in there. It felt. Uh, a little crammed where yeah. this one uh it it's considerably bigger so we're excited to be able to actually i need you people. to uh i know you're not quite a dad yet or close to it but i need to be sending you the white new balances for when you're mowing the lawn <laughs> I, just need to, I, I need i whenever you start doing landscaping i actually just send me a picture and text me your address i'll send you some nice white I, new balances the so just literally the last week has been me comparing different grass types and <laughs> if if we should go with bermuda if we should go with fescue or zoja never knew any of that stuff the other night i was looking up what would be the best i was looking up the different how different kelvin levels affect the lights in your house because i had to buy i had to buy lights with a low kelvin te- temperature so i'm already there like i i'm already new balances have already been pre-ordered so, absolutely uh, Phenomenal. Stay tuned for the end of the podcast to find out which kind of grass and lights Lucas has chosen for this you. Is, this is the Bermuda episode. Next week, we talk about fescues. So yeah, next week, we'll uh, we'll have our uh, our resident grass expert. I don't know who that would be, but we'll, we'll have him or her on the show. <laughs> All right, so lots to talk about here. It's, it's the end of March, spring practice in full effect. And, and like Lucas and I have said in the past, there truly is no off-season. Um, we have recruiting going year round, uh, uh, unofficial visits and spring games coming up here in the next couple of weeks. And we're going to have a, a, a couple of things to talk about tonight. We're, we're going to go over kind of the differences between the NCAA men's basketball tournament and the football selection playoff final four. Uh, we're kind of going to compare and contrast the narratives around the two tournaments and what we like about them, what we don't like about them, so on and so forth. Uh, we are going to chat a little bit of media rights. We're going to talk about, there was an interesting article from The Athletic about how the SEC and the Big Ten are just running away with media rights, with money. The Big Ten deal is going to be up here pretty soon. We'll talk about where they could go. And then finally, with spring ball in effect, Lucas and I will go around the country, kind of give some intriguing teams that we're keeping our eye on as we uh, gear up for the 2022 season here about six months away, five, six months away, week zero, right around the corner. So Lucas, obviously the last couple of weeks, everyone has been enthralled with the NCAA men's basketball tournament, March Madness. Uh, we had a very interesting tournament. We had a, all the one seeds are out except for Kansas. We had a 15 seed make an elite eight for the first time in history. We had a one seed go out before the sweet 16, but it's, it's always interesting to kind of compare the madness around this tournament with the discussion around the final four in the college football playoff. So Mm -hmm. this was your idea, Lucas. I'll kind of, kind of give you the floor and kind of start kind of where you want to go with this. Yeah. Yeah. So really it it was just because on our last pod, we delved into a lot of conversation because obviously there was a a hold on expanding the college football playoff uh, when it looked like it was a done deal. Uh, to go from four to 12, which I believe me and you both were very much in favor for um, just to get some new blood and some new teams in. Um, Obviously probably not going to happen until 2026 at the earliest, but it's really just, to me, it's just the narratives, like you mentioned, when we get into the tournament, how 
you know, we talk about like, like St. Peter's, you mentioned the 15 seed. They were the, actually the highest, I think before this year, no, nobody higher than a 12 had ever made an elite eight. Um, the sweet 16, I think Florida Gulf coast made the sweet 16 as a, as a 15 seed a couple of years ago, but the narrative, like the entire country was like enthralled. And we've seen this when, you know, Butler made a couple deep runs. Uh, George Mason made, back in the George Mason. George Mason. Exactly. Davidson, when Steph Curry uh, was on that team, they made it an Elite Eight run. You know, how the whole country, Dayton a few years or uh, a while back under Archie Miller, like the whole nation gets behind them and like loves it. And to me, it just drives me nuts because when we go to college football, we have the same people that are then saying like, Oh, should have Cincinnati really deserved to play in the college football playoff? Do any of these group of five teams <laughs> actually deserve it? Yet they love these underdog stories that happen in the NCAA tournament. And it just kind of drives me bonkers because I'm like, we can have this in college football. I'm not saying we need to have a 64 team tournament, but we can have more of these storylines happen. And I think, uh, you know, I was listening to the Cover 3 podcast, um, I think it was yesterday, and, you know, Tom Fridelli was basically saying, like, we think there's all there's way more parity in college basketball than there is in college football. But basically, since the BCS was created, there's been 12 different college football programs that have won a national championship. In college basketball, there's only, since that same time frame, there's only been 13 different college basketball programs. Even with us talking about St. Peter's in this college basketball tournament, the Final Four is largely blue bloods. It's all teams that have won a national title or multiple national titles within the last 10 years. You know, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Villanova. It might be the, the bluest blue blood Final Four we've yeah. ever had. And, and that's kind of the crux of my argument, and I think both of ours, is it's not necessarily that we think expanding the playoff will get – you know, it's not like Wisconsin, my favorite team, or ASU will magically make a run because they have a chance. It's more or less just it's enjoyable to get different teams in and have different storylines and find players that maybe you didn't really hear about the whole year. And once again, we're talking about expanding from 4 to 12. We're not going from 4 to 60. You still have to be one of the top 10% of teams to go in. And that's where I just kind of find the crux. That I get the cons with the NCAA tournament. One of the issues I have is that a 30-game season basically is an all-or-nothing tournament where anything can happen. Um, and I hate that you know a narrative for a season can change just on like a couple games, like Michigan for existence, because obviously I have something against Michigan. They were a complete disappointment this whole year. Their head coach got suspended because he basically punched an assistant. Um and all of a sudden they make the Sweet 16 and then there's op-ed pieces saying that they like redeemed their season because they won two games in the NCAA tournament. I, I get that part. I think the, the thing that, that hits with me is just that, in the, at least in college basketball, every program, at least there's a pathway to them getting to potentially playing for a national championship. Where in college football, that is just not the case. I mean, Cincinnati had to be damn near perfect for two years and they still were the lowest ranked team in that in that tournament. Well, and and think about how many different programs have sprung up and risen to prominence in college yes. basketball. Whether it's mm-hmm. Villanova, who's won two national titles under Jay Wright, Mark Few and Gonzaga haven't broken yes. through yet, but that's maybe the steadiest program in America. Um, Texas Tech with Chris Beard making a Final Four appearance. Virginia with Tony Bennett winning a national championship. Look two at years Baylor. With Baylor went and you have this because I think a couple of reasons, but I think the biggest one is college basketball coaches, I think are more likely to stay at their quote unquote, like mid-level program because they know there is a path to a national championship yes. because they know it's not all about resources. It's not all about recruiting budgets. It's not all about facilities. Like they know that if they get the right group of guys and they get hot at the right time, they can go to final four. And then the narrative about them changes completely. And that raises your profile. You know, I read something that St. Peter's is the payout of them making the Elite Eight is like eight hundred grand to each Mac school, not yes, Mac school, Mac school, like eight hundred grand for the next five years to each school. Yes. Insane. Yeah. 
This tournament, I think, illustrates why it's almost was a perfect tournament in terms of you had a, a major Cinderella, St. Peter's, mm-hmm. but they didn't get like, I, I think a lot of people like the Cinderella story only so far. Cause I do think yes. when push comes to shove, we want the best teams playing. Mm-hmm. Now, did we get that this year? Probably not. I mean, Gonzaga, Arizona, Kentucky, all out, but we get Duke UNC and we get Kansas Villanova. Like, those are yeah. great matchups. I mean, mm-hmm. the Coach K storyline writes itself, obviously, him in his last season going to potentially win a national championship, having to go through North Carolina. <laughs> um, I see, and I agree with your point that I think one of the biggest issues I have with this tournament is is you're right. It's a 30-game season that if you have one bad night or you get, you know, the other team shoots 60% from three or you have some bad officiating and your star gets in foul trouble – goes by the wayside and you, you Gonzaga has been the best team in college basketball the last probably five years, best program at least. And they don't have a national championship, right? It, that's what not happen in football. You know, it just, it just yeah. doesn't. Um, and I think it's almost inverted to where in college basketball, we care so much about the tournament and very little, at least I think the casual fans care yes. little about December, January, February basketball. Whereas in college football, it's all about the regular season, and then the postseason is like, eh, kids will opt out of bowl games. Eh, kids won't go there. Like, could you imagine if if Chet Holmgren or or you know uh, Jay Nivey or any of these people opted out of the NCAA tournament? Like, no way. Yeah, no way. So it's like one has a great postseason, the other one has a so-so postseason, the other one has an incredible regular season and a so-so regular season. Season, and and the thing that's nice about the NCAA term, it happens like. These teams are usually only waiting a week, maybe five days to play games, not, you know, like a month. You yeah. <laughs> basically lose all your momentum from the regular season. But no, and I, I think it's just trying to find, you know, a happy balance. And that's why I do think, you know, a 12 team playoff, like I said, we're probably not going to see it until this current TV deal runs out. Uh, but we are going to see it because money runs everything. But I do think, like you said, like it can elevate programs and i think you know those programs that have been on the cuff like a like a boise state for example or a ucf they get huge like they benefit hugely from a 12 team playoff because now they can go to the recruiters office be like hey like we have a direct shot to play for a national title and it look it's i'm not saying it's going to take boise being like they're not going to become a top 10 recruiting giant but they might be able to get one or two or a handful of kids that might not Go to them because for the simple fact that they don't believe that they can make a legit run. And think about this, right? Would Brian Kelly have left Notre Dame or or left Notre Dame for LSU if there was a 12-team playoff? No, because Notre Dame has a chance if they lose one game or they go undefeated to make the college football playoff and they have a chance to win it. You know, would Lincoln Riley have left USC for Oklahoma? I mean, maybe, but Oklahoma is in a great spot, would be in a great spot in a 12-team playoff to contend for the playoff every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. Like you would see those middle to upper tier programs like a Wisconsin, like a Florida, like a, you know, Texas A&M. Um, it would allow them to, I don't want to say have an even playing field, but it would allow them to, to compete. And it just would add more excitement to the sport. I mean, it would, it would just add, you would have different fun matchups. You wouldn't see Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and Ohio State every year. I mean, it's just, it gets monotonous. It gets boring, and you wonder why ratings are down. You wonder why people don't care about this. Well, I'm sorry. Not a lot of people want to see a rematch of the SEC title game two weeks Mm -hmm. later. You know, it just, it doesn't, it's not doing it for people. And the sports become so, the sports become so, um, there's such a uh, distance between the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's such a, distance between the top four or five programs in the country, maybe closer to eight or 10 yeah. and the rest and the rest of the power five. We're not even talking about a group of five. I'm not even talking yeah. about UCF, Boise state, Memphis, whatever. I'm, I'm talking about just, you know, and I said it a couple of weeks ago, right? The idea that, you know, Indiana is playing the same sport as Georgia is laughable to me. I mean, it's just <laughs> laughable. It's- I mean, resource wise, Indiana would have to go undefeated two straight years to make the playoff. Right. Wow. Or yeah. like if Indiana loses a two games, they're already out of it. So yeah, I don't know which is better. I think there's a way to adjust the football playoff to where you still get the magnitude of the regular season. And we've talked about it before. 
having 12 teams doesn't devalue the regular season. If anything, it increases the value of this, you know, eight and two playing nine and one, like that's a meaningful game, right? Like if, if Iowa is playing Minnesota, you know, Minnesota's eight and two trying to, you know, like that, those games matter on a national scale, not just, Oh, who's going to win the West and get slaughtered by, you know, Michigan or Ohio state. Yeah. You know, or Utah breaks through and has a great season and they're rewarded with playing Ohio State in the Rose Bowl and not a chance to play for a national championship. Like, like for me, like last year, like Pitt and Wake Forest was like a great example. Like yeah. that was such a cool thing. I mean, we were, were big college football fans. So we like loved it because there was no Clemson. There was no Florida State, no Miami, like in the in the AC championship game. But, like, the momentum of it just fell flat. You had Kenny Pickett, who was a Heisman finalist. Wake Forest was maybe having one of the best years in their program's history. And yet, they're basically their reward. We knew that none of those teams, because they had more than one loss, was going to make a college football playoff. And their reward, they got to play in the – I think they played in the Cotton Bowl. Pitt did. And and Kenny Pickett, none of those guys played. Like, that's not – that's not good for your sport when one of your best teams and their biggest game of the year just decides it's not even worth it for them. And how awesome would it have been if Pitt went on to go play in a first round yeah. of a playoff game? If if Pitt's the eight seed and they're playing the five seed, you know, Notre Dame or the five seed Oklahoma State in the first round. Like, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Great, man. It'd be fun. Yeah. Have more conference games in the playoffs. Like, I don't know. I, I think I think we're both in agreement that there just seems to be a pretty easy path forward, whether it's eight or twelve or. I mean, I think sixteen would be the absolute max you could do. Yeah, twelve's um, a good number. Four get first round buys, and, and five plays twelve, six, eleven, seven, ten, eight, nine. Like it, it makes sense. You, you know, you play the first round on 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 campus, and it's a chance for schools to make more money, and you play the second round in in the. Um, you know, where like the New Year's Six Bowls are, you know, Rose Bowl, Cotton Bowl. I, I just, it's easy to talk it out. And within five yeah. minutes, we have a, a system that's pretty suitable. And the, and the one of the things, this will probably be my last point on this, is one of the biggest differences, I think, is the selection process. Like Selection Sunday is awesome for college basketball. Like, especially if you have a team that is in it, like you're excited to see who, you, who you're going to be playing. You get to see the brackets kind of unfold. Where, like, with college football, that last selection show sucks just about sucks. every year. Like, we already know the four teams where if it was 12, all of a sudden you have, you know, those those teams like 10 through, like, 15 or 16 that are like, holy crap, are we going to make it that are, like, on the bubble? You And then you even get to see, like, you might – it's not for sure. You Like, even if you're a shoe-in, you still want to see who you're going to be playing – if it's going to be a home game, potentially, if you're going to get a first round buy, like I think it just adds even more drama um, to the selection process too, which I think is, especially with how they build up those freaking shows starting in November. And then there's a lot of buildup for those, but then the final one, it's just, it's so boring. I didn't even watch it this year. Cause I was like, what's the point? I already know what it's going to be. Um, so I think that would also have a, have a net benefit. So, you know, one of the reasons why we talk about the playoff not expanding and everything boils down to money. And as we kind of shift into our next topic now, um, Nicole Auerbach for The Athletic wrote a, a very interesting story um, about how media rights are kind of a tale of the haves and the have-nots. And mm. I'm, again, not talking about G5 versus Power 5. I'm talking about the SEC and the Big Ten against the Pac-10 or Pac-12, Big Ten, and the, uh, the or excuse me, the Pac-12, ACC, and the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And just about how, so this is in her article, uh, assuming a 12-team college football playoff expansion, the Power 5 average payout estimates in millions. This is by 20, so this year, the Big Ten, 57.2 million per school, SEC, 54. The Big 12 is just over 40 pack 12 in the ACC are around 35 in 2029. So seven years SEC estimated payout $117.8 million. The big 10, $101.1 million pack 12, 62 ACC, 61 big 10, 57. <laughs> it's a big, big money 
sport right now. And I, I think Lucas, what's interesting is how much like are we going to get to a power two? Is it going to be a point yeah. where the Big Ten and the SEC are so because of the money coming in with their with their TV deals and everything that football and basketball in the in that part of the country, the upper Midwest, the Southeast, it lends itself to these schools being able to have better facilities, mm-hmm. um, potentially pay their student athletes more. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on where this is all going? No, it, it was intriguing because I think we're already seeing it happen. I mean, a big example is just what Michigan State did when they were able to get Mel Tucker from Colorado. Basically snatch him from another Power 5 thing or Power, power 5 job. Basically doubled his pay. Um, you know, Michigan State, which is... And then, by the way, Lucas, when he got sniffed around by LSU, they gave oh. him a 10-year contract extension. 10-year, 10-year contract, which just like inflated all coaching costs. We just saw Pat Narduzzi got a like a five-year extension at Pitt um, after having one really good season there. Like, yeah, and those guys can pay that money. It, it really isn't much for those schools anymore. And like you mentioned, it could be a big two. I The, the biggest, I'm reading that article, the main reason why the SEC um, – they, they stated would probably get more was because of the acquisition of getting Texas and Oklahoma, which will join the conference in 2025. It wouldn't shock me because obviously everyone wants to catch up and be at the same level. No one wants to fall behind. It wouldn't shock me if that point, I know the big 10 hasn't uh, expanded yet, but it wouldn't shock me if at that time that they do expand, if they add maybe two more teams to maybe try to close that gap with the SEC. Um, and who knows, maybe they go and try to get some of those other out of those other three conferences. But you no, know, it, it, it really is um, a situation. I don't know how those other conferences make up that ground, especially that the Big 12. I know they're going to be back at 12 teams uh, when in a couple of years, when all those teams from the AAC come over. But I just don't know how that brings you up to, to value. The ACC, we were talking about before the pod, is in just a Terrible. They signed a terrible deal. It doesn't expire for another 14 years. Um, they can only renegotiate if they get another member, which I think is a big reason why uh, Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC, didn't want to expand the playoff because I think he still wants to pressure Notre Dame to join them. So they have something to renegotiate with. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. We, uh, you know, the Big Ten comes up for negotiation really this summer. Their con- their media rights deals end. They actually were very smart and only signed a six-year deal back in 2016 or 2017. And they're going to have, you know, they're, you know everybody is going to be pouring out money, whether that's CBS because they lost the SEC. NBC apparently really wants the Big Ten to pair with Notre Dame. Um, you know, Fox obviously already has a big investment in the big 10 and obviously ESPN will be there and who knows, maybe Netflix, Amazon, or one of those other, uh, big streaming platforms will try to want to get in the game. But no, I don't know. It, it is interesting. You just hope the, you know, I feel bad because I want it. I don't want more stretches to happen in college football, but it, I mean, you just have to, have to follow money. I'm just interested in how this affects NIL recruiting um, and everything like that moving forward. You know, one of the things I thought about when you were, were talking was you just kind of look at the depth of the big 10 and the SEC, right. And you, and you, and you look at, and I get it. Those are the biggest conferences, right. Each, each have 14, mm-hmm. so you, you have more teams, but you, you just look at the SEC and it's, it's Alabama, Auburn's had good years, A&M's on the up, LSU won a national championship a couple of years ago, Georgia mm-hmm. just won a national championship, Florida was in the, you know, a borderline as a college football playoff team last year before, before losing to Alabama. You just haven't seen those, like, I look at the ACC and it's like, it's Clemson and that's it. I mean, the Coastal's yeah. been a bit of a shit show for the last handful of years. Wake Forest had a nice year, 10-2 regular season. Um, but like the ACC hasn't had a national championship contender uh, besides Clemson since the Jimbo Florida State years, which was what, yeah. 2013, 2014. Like that's almost mm-hmm. eight years ago now, not to make us feel old, but it, like it is. Yeah. Pac-12 hasn't had a legit national title contender since Marcus Mariota was at Oregon. And Marcus Mariota was on like his fourth NFL team. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. he made the playoff, I think in 2017 as the last yeah. Pac-12 
team, but you just you haven't seen those programs, those middle tier programs, like improve themselves and level up like you've seen Michigan State kind of do in recent years. Penn State get back with James Franklin. Wisconsin's always good. Iowa's always good. Minnesota had a, a double digit win season a couple of years ago. And I just think, like, again, the money that you can pay coaches, the money you can pay for facilities, the money you can pay your assistants to stay, that's all part of it. And mm-hmm. the Pac-12, like, the fact that USC was able to get Lincoln Riley was a shock. The fact that, like, a, like finally somebody in the Pac-12 was able to – I mean, like, we just saw Oregon lose Mario Cristobal to Miami. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it was, you know, ACC. To, it's not like he left for LSU or Alabama yeah. or something. But still, like – Oregon, who's been one of the best programs the last decade, has had a hard time keeping coaches. You know, Willie Taggart fired after a two year, or Willie Taggart left left for Florida State yeah. after a year. Yeah. Mario Cristobal takes over, leaves to go to Miami after a couple years. So it's issue. You know, Washington's had issues with their coaching staff recently, and they hired Fresno State's coach, which isn't like a you know huge splashy hire. ASU is just probably going to hire like Jake Plummer, like Jarrell Suggs when they let go from Edwards at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have any um, And I, I just think it's, it's hurt some of the the, the depth um, with, with not being able to get the high quality assistance. I mean, LSU just writes a blank check and hires, Notre, uh, hires Brian Kelly. You know, A&M blank check hires Jimbo Fisher. Um, I was going to say Auburn, but They've kind of uh, and, they kind of about there trying to well, well, and that's why it, it boggles my mind that when the playoff expansion came up, two out of the three schools that voted it down, it was it was all three were the alliance members, but the Pac-12 and the ACC, and I think those are probably the two conferences that would benefit the most by being expanded. I mean, the the Pac-12 has not been in, like you mentioned, since I don't think 2017. They've been in the playoff. And they haven't even really had any close calls since then. And the ACC, when Clem, we saw when Clemson was down this year, they had nobody else that could step up to the plate to get it. And the more absences you've seen, you just see how bad that hurts the image of your conference. And that image carries over when you go to these TV deals. People don't want, want to pay top dollar for stuff that other people want to see. And right now, unfortunately, out of those three conferences, there's just not a huge demand for it as well. I love uh, digging into the to the to the media stuff and who's going where and and um, you know last summer the SEC kind of signed a landmark deal to take their content over to ESPN. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much you'd paid attention, but like basically the best TV deal in sports was the SEC game of yes. the week. Like yep. they signed the deal with CBS immediately or in the following. It was uh, following the Great Recession of 0809. They signed like a 15 year deal, and they're basically paying like 55 million dollars a year for that package, which is insanely underpriced. So SEC gets huge money from ESPN, ABC to carry their major game, which I believe will be the, the nightcap game on ABC most most weeks. So now, like CBS has a major hole to fill. In, in their college football coverage, losing the SEC, which really the only conference they had, only power conference mm-hmm. they had. NBC, as they're, again, like you said, there are talks about them trying to, I think people people have said that it, it would fit really well with, with uh, Notre Dame to yeah. tackle the the Midwest, Chicago, uh, you know, Wisconsin, Illinois kind of part of the country. Um, you're a fan of a team in the Big Ten. Um, where would be your... What, what would be your preference and what do you think is going to happen? Um, I would love if they – so right now they split for football. They split their T1 rights with ESPN and Fox. Yep. I do like that they're on multiple networks. I've loved that they've gone with Fox. Fox actually owns the majority share of the Big Ten network. So for me, I think they just have a good working relationship. I think it, it's almost like Fox News and MSNBC – when it came to like coverage of college football, ESPN obviously stuck with their guys, the SEC, ACC, where on Fox, you've got a lot more coverage of the big 10, the big 12, the PAC 12. And I would kind of like to see that continue. Um, they obviously already have a deal with the, with Fox originally to, for the big 10 championship game. Um, to me, I, I don't think they're going to sign back up with ESPN. I think they're, they're going to split 
with probably Fox and maybe a CBS or NBC, or they're just going to go all in with one network. But I do not think they're going to be with ESPN, which to me in this day of age to say that a power conference would risk um, not being on ESPN at all for any of their sports content is, is kind of crazy to me because uh, it almost feels like if you don't do ESPN, you're kind of in a black hole a little bit, but that seems to be the way it could be feasible for them to do it. Um, but either way, they're going to get paid a ton of money. I would love it on CBS just because I would love to hear the CBS football theme. <laughs> like, like exactly, exactly. And it's Wisconsin, Ohio state. It just with Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson, it would just, it would just be insane. Like, it would just it would feel uncomfortable, I think, for the first year, and then uh, would feel great. But it could also happen with the Pac-12. Um, but uh, and I also do think if they sign with either one of those things, you're going to see games probably on Peacock or Paramount Plus. Like I think we're we're moving more and more into that stage uh, with whatever with all these new deals that come out. We're already seeing the NFL having their Thursday night games will all be on a streaming service with Amazon. MLB also so, signed a deal with Apple TV Plus to have a Friday yeah. exclusive doubleheader. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you brought up the streaming stuff because it's something that we're going to be getting into and it's something that will be universally hated by football fans. Yes. I, mean, I mean, I think the joke I saw on Reddit was like when Notre Dame played on Peacock, I think it was like their game against like Toledo or some match yeah. on Peacock. Someone's like, yeah, I got to try to tell my 80-year-old grandpa who loves Notre Dame to try to download Peacock. and like, <laughs> like, imagine trying to figure out how that's going to happen. But you know what? You're right. I mean, Amazon exclusive Thursday Night Football with the NFL. How about them getting Kurt Herbstreit and Al Michaels? Al Michaels. It's insane. I mean, I, I think that's yeah. going to be awesome. We had texted about that in our in our uh, our group chat earlier last week. It's, it's going to be awesome. Um, Apple TV Plus here in the MLB. NBA hasn't done it yet, but it's just going to happen, guys. I don't know. I don't think it'll be Netflix. Amazon and Apple look like they are dipping their toes. NBC with Peacock, certainly. And I, and I think that's the appeal, right? I think the appeal yeah. of NBC is put a Big Ten game every week on 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 Peacock and put some mm-hmm. basketball on, on Peacock and try to grow that service. Um, and that's kind of where we're going to be. And I think when these deals are negotiated, it will be the Big Tens first. Like the Big Tens up, up next. Yeah. Uh, the Big Ten will set kind of how we go with this. If they say, you know what, we've done the data, we, we can't do streaming services. We're not there yet. You know, not in the next five to eight years. We're not going to like we just it's not good for us. Then maybe they shy away and they go CBS. And so I don't know. I mean, I think there's a di- there's a difference between p- this simulcasting games like on CBS and Paramount Plus or NBC and Peacock and having an exclusive Hey, we need to watch Wisconsin. The bar we're at needs to have Peacock. <laughs> like, well, and maybe like we'll be there soon, but I don't know if we're there yet. Well, can you imagine just being at like a sports bar where most of them all have like the biggest cable packages so that they can get all the games, mm-hmm. and then like they have to switch to like a Roku or a streaming stick so that they can get a game on. Uh, like Apple TV or on Peacock or anything like that. Like, I think it would just be like hysteria, Um, especially because obviously I've had streaming. We both have had streaming. We both have had cable. Um, Obviously cable, when it comes to live performance is better just because you're going to get it quicker Um, or streaming can lag a little bit. Um, so yeah, it, and, and I think the other thing is, is just internet. I mean, you need yeah. to have a reliable internet service. And if you're, I mean, in a farm in, in Iowa, in, you know, a farm out in Iowa trying to watch Iowa versus Northwestern on Peacock at 11 a.m. Central. And you're like, what the hell? What the hell am I doing? You know, <laughs> I just mentioned it's funny you talked about uh, like the 84 year old Notre Dame fame trying to do it. I remember when uh, NFL, the NFL first launched NFL Network and they had those Thursday night games exclusively on NFL Network. Yes, it was. I remember the Packers, this was like 2006, 2005. I remember the Packers were going to play the Vikings on a Thursday night game. And like on that Monday, my dad's like, hey, like they play on Thursday. What channel do they play on? And I'm like, they play on NFL Network. We don't have it. We have like basic cable. And he's like, we don't get it. 
Yeah. He the next day we got Dish Network installed just so that we could watch uh the Packers on Thursday night. He calls me, he's like, Hey, I got the dish over. We actually got a deal. We're gonna get NFL Network. So that's I mean, that's the power that these things have. Are, that's why are, these people want to have these switch to stream because they know people will subscribe to them. There are very there are still, despite how the world is changing, there are few entities as powerful as live sports when it comes yes. to what people especially football football's king you know mm-hmm. i don't think you're going to switch tv net packages if the bucks are playing a random game on on you know whatever but if you're gonna miss a packers game or you're gonna miss a a big wisconsin game in november against nebraska or i'm sorry they nebraska's not gonna be good ever so like against <laughs> minnesota or against whatever you know then that's that's a whole different ball game, and I, I do think that is the allure of hey, we need to get this, and we'll see what happens. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah, it's just it just pisses me off because it's like I was I was on cable cording early, and I loved that I was saving money and all this stuff, and now it's like when all this stuff ends, we're just gonna be paying way more than we did for cable because we're just gonna be paying for everything individually. hundred percent. I mean, it's, and they try to package things and, and, you know, bundle things. And I joked, I was like, man, the next big thing is going to be, is there a service or an entity that can bundle all these streaming services and you pay $110 a month and you get Netflix, HBO, Amazon, Peacock, Paramount plus. And it's like, Oh wait, that's basically cable. (laughs) (laughs) Basically cable. Uh, going in circles here we're just going in circles um all right uh it's running for the roses here lucas Rody. i'm ryan baffle lucas here we're uh gonna dive a little bit into some spring football um most of uh the country has started in some respect i know some schools start in february but most schools get started uh in the month of march we'll have spring games uh next month in april um, late April and May is college evaluations for high school players off campus. And then June and July, we've got camps and obviously it never stops. So what Lucas and I are going to do, we're going to go through each conference and each pick, choose a team that we're intrigued by to follow throughout spring. And just kind of, we're intrigued to see what they look like starting in 2022. So I'll go first. Let's start in the ACC. We'll start, um, we'll go alphabetically. So in the ACC, I'm going to go with the Miami Hurricanes. Um, mm-hmm. Mario Cristobal's first season there. The prodigal son returns. High profile. There has been a lot of momentum with that program, with money, with resources. And even though we're both kind of feel a little gross about saying that, it, it's it's happening. And uh, one of the things that I, I do think is interesting is Miami's got a good quarterback coming back. Tyler Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. Um, ACC Rookie of the Year last year with 2,900 passing yards, 25 touchdowns. Um, Miami has a chance to be among the favorites in that division next year. I mean, North Carolina has to replace Sam Howell. Pitt has to replace Kenny Pickett. Um, Virginia Tech has a new coach as well. And Miami finished second at 5-3. and three. I mean, it was, it was Pitt 7-1, and one, then Miami at 5-3. and three. The Virginia schools at 4-4. Four and four and North Carolina at three and five. So Miami's got a chance to be, I don't, I haven't seen any division odds or, or what the favorite would be, but I think Miami's might be the favorite in that coastal division. Probably. Now you go on the road at Texas A&M, September 17th, and you got to play at Clemson, which is a, this, uh, this is the year you get Clemson. It's not an annual thing to, to play Clemson. So um, they get Clemson in late November. So, not an easy schedule, but I think Miami is a team I'm keeping my eye on in the ACC. Um, Lucas, you can you can touch on the Canes or and or uh, give your pick in the ACC. Yeah, I'll do a little bit of both. So yeah, I I completely agree. That was probably my number one pick also in the in the ACC, just because like you mentioned, like last year they were second in the coast. They weren't they weren't awful last year. They lost I think it was like three games by three or four games by one possession. Uh, they had a couple that they just missed with like missed field goals at the end. Uh, Virginia was one. They, they missed a game winning field goal that went off the upright. And, and who knows if they, they win maybe two of those games, they go nine and three instead of seven and five. Maybe Manny Diaz is still the head coach there. Um, but like you mentioned, yeah, good quarterback coming back when it felt like it took them forever to kind of find uh, a quarterback to finally settle on. 
And like you said, a lot of hype, uh, especially with the, uh, what is it, the U Health hospital system. Their profits are now paying for uh, for that football program because that's what great societies do. They <laughs> use healthcare costs to pay for football. But honestly, uh, they're kind of going back another team that I think that intrigues me a lot. And it's not really a surprise, but it's Clemson. Um, yeah, they went 10 and three last year, which was, you know, a down year considering that they had made the playoffs like four consecutive years playing for national titles, but I'm just interested to see this is the first year they really have had inconsistency at the coordinator level. Uh, one of the things that we've prided Clemson and Dabo Sweeney was, was the consistency they had with Brent Venables, with Jeff Scott, Tony Elliott, all those guys are gone off that staff. And especially on the offensive side of the ball. They really struggled last year. The defense was still good. I don't think there's going to be an issue there. But I am curious to see what they do offensively if they get back um, to what they were. I don't think there's going to be much competition. Uh, Yeah, they do have to deal with Wake Forest, but they also beat Wake Forest last year and Wake Forest's best year. Um, So I I don't think there's anything much in their wake, but I am interested to see how they adjust. I think Dabo's a great head coach. We'll see if last year was just kind of a down year or if this is more of kind of maybe a couple of years, they're just kind of be a little under the radar, maybe not um, at the cream of the crop, but I'm interested to see what, what they do at the top of the ACC with all those changes. Yeah. You know, Clemson's going to be fascinating because Dabo by all accounts has, has really held out on a lot of these seismic shifts in college football. They don't take transfers. Um, I don't know how involved they're going to be in certain NIL things. That's how we'll kind of put it for now. Um, and, and you know, you're right. I think one year you can see as kind of a blip in the radar. You work in a new quarterback. It may not is at the same level as what Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun. I mean, you just think about the quarterbacks they've had the six years prior. I mean, three years of Deshaun Watson, three years of Trevor Lawrence. Like, those are two of the, I mean, the best college quarterbacks of the last 20 years, right? I mean, so... It'll be interesting if DJ can can keep that job. They brought in a five star freshman, like they will do every year. Um, and and you know you're right because if you have two down years, if you go nine and three again, now all of a sudden, the are you a blue bud still? Do you still have it? Does Dabo need to change? I don't think Dabo will get fired anytime soon. Um, but where I mean Clemson was at the elite of the sport for the last you know, five years besides last year. They won, I believe, two national titles or one national title and played for two, like among the elites of the elites. And we'll see if, if they can get back there. Um, all right, let's move to the Big 12. I'll let you go first. Big 12, Oklahoma State, your uh, uh, regular season champion. Baylor won the Big 12 championship game over the Cowboys by a yard. You got new coaching, uh, a new staff at Oklahoma. Iowa State with no Brock Purdy for the first time in 15 years. Uh, where are you going for uh, a team that you're uh, kind of looking at here yeah. in, in spring? So you mentioned like uh, like Baylor winning it. I'm going to be talking about a team that it was a huge disappointment they weren't in that championship game, and that is actually Iowa State. And it's largely for the reasons that, that you brought up. You know, they don't have Brock Purdy, uh, no Brees Hall. Um, you know, guys who have been kind of a staple of that program. And it was crazy last year at this time we were talking about because all these guys had announced they were coming back. Could this team potentially get challenged for the big 12 championship? Could they win? You know, could they potentially earn a spot in the college football playoff? And, and last year was, was a disappointment. They finished seven and six. They get their blown, their doors blown off them about by Clemson, who we were just telling had a down year. And it just kind of was unsettling. And it was the most Iowa State season, too. They were just losing games just by the skin of their teeth. They could have easily probably gone 10 and 2 instead of going 7 and 5. But, and we've heard all the conversations with Matt Canada, uh, or not Matt Canada, Matt Campbell. Um, you know, where is he going to be headed next? You know, how long is he going to stay at Iowa State? And I think last year took. Obviously, seven and six before he got there, that would have been a standout season. But he's elevated the standard so much that it was a huge disappointment. And I'm just wondering if the shine has has kind of gone off of them, especially now with you know knowing in a few years that both Texas and Oklahoma are are going to be there or are not going to be there anymore. I'm interested to see what they do with uh, with a new team. Do they kind of repeat what they've been doing? Do they take a fall back? 
Um, so I, I, I can see Iowa State because they, they, they're in every game, basically, that they play. Um, it's just willing if they're going to make the, pl- the plays at the end of the game in order to close it. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see how the Cyclones come back, if they do reload um, or if it's a complete rebuild this year. It's going to be strange not seeing Brock Purdy quarterback of Iowa State. He's kind of an underrated recruit and took over as a freshman and did a really, really nice job there um, with uh, with Matt Campbell. I'm going to go with a, a program I think I thought you might take, and that's Texas with Steve mm-hmm. Sarkis. Uh, year two with Sark. Year two is kind of the year where I feel like you know what are we going to be. If Steve Sarkeesian goes 9-3, and 10-2, and two, and is in the Big 12 title game, then I think we feel pretty good. Steve Sarkeesian goes 7-5, and five, we might have some hesitations. And I say this because there's no more like, oh, give him three or four years, let him get his guys in, like change the culture. No, like that's done. The, the transfer portal now allows you to build your roster so much quicker now. Yes. And what Texas did is go out and get arguably the best quarterback in the country, Quinn Ewers from Ohio State. Quinn Ewers would have been the number one quarterback in the class of 22. And, and I think we're all aware of, you know, he was a you know class of, class of 22 kid, moved up a, a grade so he could get some NIL money, went to Ohio State, played like six snaps, got all of his money, transferred, really the first NIL case um, of national prominence. And he's at Texas now. And Quinn Ewers, like, according to 247, is like a – I, want, I, I hate to use generational court, but that's how he was rated, a generational quarterback prospect, number one player in the country in his class. He will be the quarterback for Texas. You have Bijan Robinson back, who might be the best running back in the country, Xavier Worthy back, one of the top freshman wide receivers last year. This team should score a lot of points, and they should be pretty good. Um, this was a team that went 5-7 and seven last year, missed a bowl game, lost to Kansas. Like, we know. Um, Tom Herman left that roster with some talent, but the culture was not good. We'll see what Steve Sarkeesian can do in year two. Guess what, Lucas? Week two, Alabama at home. That's a big one. Now, the, the, the Big 12 schedule is pretty favorable. They get West Virginia, Iowa State, TCU, and Baylor all at home. Obviously, Oklahoma, new coach on a neutral there at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. So, listen, I, I don't expect them to beat Alabama, but if you're competitive against Alabama in, in week two and, and that's a, you know, 38-31 game when Alabama wins it late, like that's a could be a success. You have the ability to go 7-2, and 8-1 and one in conference and maybe get to 10. Like, I Oklahoma's probably not going to be as good as they were last year. No Caleb Williams. Uh, Oklahoma State may take a step back. They lose a lot of pieces. Baylor... Don't know how I feel about them quite yet. The path is there for Texas to have a really good yeah. year, and it's a big one for Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, you could. I mean, you can make an argument that they potentially have the most talented roster in the Big 12. I mean, you could make that case almost every year with sure. Texas, but with Oklahoma, with the losses they had, with um, uh, with like Caleb Williams um, and all of them uh, uh, going out to USC, it it could be interesting. Like you, like there's such variation with Texas. They could go six and six, or they could go 10 and two, 11 and one could be a, a magical season for them. I did want to say, do they do, they get Kansas on the road that this year could be another trip up game for them. Once again. <laughs> they get so, Kansas on the road in November. Yeah. And that's so, the, game. that's the game where Lucas texts me. It's a, it's a, a new, it's an 11 a.m. Central kick. We all know that. And it's on FS1 or FS2 or some random That's, network. Or ESPN. That would be an ESPN Plus game. That's ESPN Plus. It's up 21-10 at the half. And Lucas texts me like, hey, man, <laughs> I'm just going to blow this. Like, that's one of those <laughs> One of those games. Um, all right, let's move on to the Big Ten. Well, Lucas, I'll let you go first for the Big Ten. That's your, uh, your bread and butter. We have Michigan Big Ten champions uh, coming back. We have Iowa Big Ten West champions. Um, where are you going kind of with some uh, intriguing team for you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going with either of those teams. I'm going with kind of a, a crazy team, a team that finished dead last in their division last year, and that is the Indiana Hoosiers. Wow. Um, main reason I'm just going with them is two years ago, they had arguably the best season maybe in the history of Indiana football. 
everybody was riding high on Tom her or on Tom Allen. Uh, you know, people, some people are picking them as not necessarily a dark horse to win the Big Ten East, but to at least be a contender potentially behind Ohio State. And last year was just a debacle. They had injuries everywhere. Uh, they lost, you know, close games. You know, they played Cincinnati pretty tough early in the season. Um, uh, couldn't quite get over the hump with them. Um, and then it just one thing after another. And they finished 2-10, uh, which is kind of a normal uh, Indiana season if you look at their history. And, uh, you know, Tom Allen goes with almost a completely new staff in this year to kind of shake things up. He went from being the darling of college football to maybe potentially on the hot seat this year. And I just feel so bad for Indiana because they, that division is just brutal Um, that they could have a good year and still maybe only be the fourth or fifth best team in that entire division. If they were in the West, I think you would see them being a consistent bowl team just about every year. Um, So I'm intrigued, you know, no Michael Penix, he transferred out to Washington um, so interested to see what they do on that side of the ball. Um, you know, looking at their schedule, they still have to go, you know, to Cincinnati on the road. Uh, they get Illinois, uh, first week of the season, um, in Bloomington, uh, an early big 10 game, but I mean, their, their November is just brutal when they have to go, uh, Penn state at Ohio state at Michigan state, and then Purdue to end the, end the season. So, just kind of intrigued to see where they follow through because I just thought they were such a great story just a couple of years ago. Um, what about you in the big 10? Again, I think I'll go with a team I thought you were going to take. And that was, that's the, the Nebraska Cornhuskers in our, our post <laughs> Um Three and nine last year, one and eight in the big 10. Oh, and seven in one possession games. The Huskies were within a touchdown in the fourth quarter in every game, but one. Um, it's do or die for Scott Frost. I mean, like, this is it. You you got to make a bowl game. Um, you cannot just be competitive again. Like Brock Purdy, Taylor Martinez has ended his eight-year run as the starting quarterback of Nebraska. Um, he has moved on somewhere. He entered the transfer portal. I forget where he went. It, uh, he's at Kansas State. Kansas, Kansas State. State. Too. Okay. Uh, they bring in Casey Thompson from Texas to be their kind of presumptive starting quarterback. Non-conference schedule, you've got North Dakota, Georgia Southern, Oklahoma, all at home. Your cross-division games are Indiana, Rutgers, and Michigan. Pretty doable. Not not a bad draw. That's not a bad draw at all. And Rutgers. Wisconsin at home, November 9th. I mean, you end the season, Minnesota at Michigan, Wisconsin at Iowa. Like, you better have six wins or five wins before that. (laughs) By the way, you start the season week zero. Northwestern in Dublin. This is the, I mean, if we didn't, if we didn't learn anything from Illinois last year, we start with the big 10 team away from home in week zero. I mean, this is the Nebraska gets embarrassed at six 30 in the morning, like local time. And Scott Frost is fired by nine 30, like 1230 Eastern on in week zero. It just, they just, they just leave him in Dublin, Ireland, man. Um, anyway, it'll be interesting. Um, I think that is the coach on maybe the hottest hot seats heading into 2022. There are some other ones, but Scott Frost, you got to make a bowl game. You got to get to six wins. You got to show some improvement. Um, we'll see if we can do it. Uh, schedule isn't, uh, isn't ideal. Uh, Pac-12. Not going to say ASU, unfortunately. I'm not uh, uh... say ASU. You know what a team I think I'm, I'm sort of interested in honestly is, is Arizona. Mm. Um, Jed Fish brought in the second-ranked recruiting class in the conference behind, I believe, Stanford. Um, they brought in some really good transfers. They they brought in a transfer quarterback, I forget his name, from Washington State, who is was the Pac-12 freshman of the year last year, who was the presumptive starting quarterback. Um, they went one and eight last year, one and eleven, or one and eight in conference, one and eleven. I'm just interested to see, like, is this a four or five win team? Can you scrap a bowl game? There's a lot of positive vibes with that program. And me as an ASU alum and fan kind of watching the two programs just go in complete opposite directions. And so I'm interested to see, like, you know, I I think USC might be the obvious answer here that might, I kind of wanted to go somewhere else, but behind USC in the South, I mean, 
ASU went eight and five last year. They're not going to do that again. UCLA went eight and four. I think UCLA is probably the second or third best team in the conf in in the division. Um, but U of A has a chance to jump into that UCLA ASU Colorado tier, and I'm interested to see if uh, if they can do it. Yeah, I think it's always intriguing seeing teams come after kind of like a heard on a podcast, just calling it like year zero, like that first year for a head coach coming into a bad program where it's just like, you just kind of got to get through that year, see what kind of players you have, get kind of the bad seeds kind of out of the program. Uh, Like you said, good vibes, good recruiting by Jed Fish. That was a hire that, you know, neither of us were super high on Uh, when it first happened. It just felt like they just wanted to hire a coach that was probably going to be relatively cheap and just kind of decided that he was the best guy for the job. We'll see if that, if that does turn into anything. I'm also going to go with the non-traditional route. I'm not picking USC. I, I'm actually going with the Huskies up in up in Washington. Um, last year was just a disaster for them. That was a team that was pretty talented, uh, but just maybe had one of the worst college football offenses I think I've ever seen. Oh, uh, I mean, it's a team that that only had like 200 yards against who they lose to was it Portland State? It was Montana or Mont- Montana State? Um, I think they could only muster like 10 points against them. Um, but now you bring in, you know, you get rid of Jimmy Lake, you know, he had that the issue where, you know, did he hit a player? Was, was that the case that he did last? La- uh, I don't know there? exactly. I know there's some issues sprouting up and some documents being revealed and it's not a great situation for, for him. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they bring in, uh, you know, Kalen DeBoer who, you know, had a nice run at, at a couple of years at, um, at Fresno State before that, um, had a nice year being the offensive coordinator at Indiana when they had that big year uh, a few seasons ago when they went eight and five. Um, and they also are bringing Michael Penix. Speaking of Indiana, Michael Penix actually transferred up there to Washington. You know, I think that team has a lot of talent. I think they're a team that could have a really nice bounce back year in, in a Pac-12 North that is, I think is pretty wide open with the coaching changes and everything at Oregon. Uh, we're not sure quite what they're going to look like with Dan Lanning taking over. Um, Stanford obviously hasn't really made a dent to do anything in the last few years. So I think Washington, I think, could be uh, one of those that you know, the, that the head coach had a lot to use there. And I think they could have a nice bounce back. The Pac-12 North, you might argue, is the most wide open division right now in college football. Yeah. I mean, I just if you were to tell me that four different teams could win that, like I like Washington State, their coach got fired in November for not taking the back <laughs> finish second in, in the division. And yeah. The the team that won the division, um, their coach left to go to another job. You know, it's it's just very it's very interesting. Um, I, I I do think just to quickly touch on USC, like the the big question is going to be like how quickly is USC going to get back to national prominence? Mm-hmm. And um, there was the, uh, the funny tweet from uh, Colin Cowherd after the first day of spring practice that said somebody at practice texted me and he said it was the greatest college football practice of all time. And he, he just got, he's, he just got memed and, and, and roasted for it. But um, listen, you got Lincoln Riley, you have Caleb Williams. They have the best quarterback in the conference. They should be pretty explosive on offense. They recruited pretty well in the class of 21. Um, there's talent there. Um, you do lose Drake London, Drake Jackson. Like there are some significant departures, but Utah and USC is going to be a really fun battle in the South. I think those are mm-hmm. clearly the two best teams, not only in that division, but probably in, in the conference. I believe USC gets them at home this year, mm-hmm. but I don't know because COVID may have messed up the scheduling. So I'll have to go back yeah. and look. Anyway, I think it'll be. Uh, I think the South is a bit stronger, but it'll be interesting. As I mean, the Pac-12 is always just flip a coin. Who knows what's going to happen? All right, let's go to the um, let's go to the Southeastern Conference. Lucas, I'll let you uh, have first dibs here. Georgia, your reigning national champion. Alabama, runner-up. Ole Miss finished second in the SEC West. Kentucky second in the ACC East. Mm-hmm. Tennessee's made some moves. Florida's got a new coach. LSU has a new coach. Auburn will have a new coach soon. I mean, what do you uh, what do you think with 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 the SEC? Oh boy! Oh yeah, I, we talked at verbatim, I think, two podcasts ago about Auburn's coaching situation. Just how big of a mess that is. Um, but 
I'm actually going to go in the SCs. It's not with the defending national champs. I am looking at a team that maybe potentially could challenge to be the second or third best team in the SCs, and that is actually the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, oh, okay. Just just bringing them up just because I thought Shane Beaver did a terrific job with that program last year. That was a three-win team. He took over. They won the games they had to. They were able to, you know, get a win against Florida. Uh, I believe they beat – they also beat Auburn, I believe, uh, as well last season. Um, Sets of powerful wins. They've been recruiting really well. Um, and they also got, I think – which could be a wild card transfer. And that is Spencer Rattler, who I know you're uh, all too familiar with from the Phoenix area. Um, but, you know, had some moments at Oklahoma, obviously had some good and bad ones, but I think they're an intriguing team, uh, especially he's talented enough um, that they could do some fun things offensively there. Um, and after Georgia, I mean, really you look, you know, Florida is now That's, as a first year head coach. I know. Um, Kentucky, I guess you might argue it, it. You could argue to be the second best team, but I know they lost a lot on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, Tennessee could be really interesting, especially with Henning Hooker coming back. But I don't think there's a definitive number two back here, and especially if Shane Beamer's trying to position himself to get a better Power Five job, um, he could potentially see this. And I also don't think a guy like Spencer Rattler goes there unless he legitimately thinks they have a chance to win some games. So um, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how the Gamecocks uh, set up this season. Yeah, the SEC East is going to be really intriguing. I mean, it's Kentucky finished 5-3 and three last year. They were second. Tennessee's got a lot of momentum. South Carolina, a lot of momentum. Florida's got a new coach. Missouri, a bit underwhelming in Eli Drinkowitz's second year, I feel like, compared to the, the 2020 COVID year when they kind of surprised some people. So... It will be interesting. I'll go across the uh, across the, the the league, and I'll say Texas A and M um, should be Jimbo's best year. Um, I mean they they swept the uh, they swept the uh, the Alabama schools and got swept by the Mississippi schools. Um, Texas A and M finished four and four in, in the conference. Hunter, um, my, oof, Brad Johnson, uh, Max Johnson comes Max in Johnson, from LSU. Yeah. Zach Calzada is gone. Um, number one recruiting class, all-time recruiting class comes in. You expect a lot of early difference makers for that program. And the SEC West is probably, again, like a lot of question marks. Ole Miss loses Matt Corral. Auburn's got all sorts of question marks. LSU's got a new coach with Brian Kelly. Is Arkansas right now the second? I mean, the third <laughs> team? Like, are they your competition for second right now? Like, Alabama looks like a juggernaut again. Bryce Young back. Maybe a Heisman favorite, right? To repeat, um, you will have to go to Tuscaloosa this year. You get Miami at home in the non-conference, so we'll find out pretty early, kind of how good A and M is. But like we've talked about with Jimbo before, like eight and four—that's the meme, right? You can't keep doing that. You cannot keep going eight and four. This has to be a nine or ten win team this year. Um, and in the next two or three years, I think we talked about this on signing day. Like the number one recruiting class usually wins a national championship now most of the time it's on alabama but traditionally number one number one recruiting class means you're going to compete or win a national championship in three years and the clock starts now for jimbo yeah no i completely agree especially with the big contract that they just gave him um basically that's going to be making him the highest paid uh coach in college is he is he the next Nick Saban at that destination or is he just another Kevin Sumlin like who has one or two good years and then it's eight and four, eight and five, just about every season. So I am also intrigued right there, especially with Max Johnson. Um, I thought he, he looked pretty good at LSU. Um, and we all know that Jimbo usually does a pretty good job with quarterbacks. I thought he made Zach Calzada relatively serviceable quarterback towards the end of the year. So, um, yeah, always excited in the Southeastern Conference, um, especially this year when there is a lot of question marks with a lot of teams. All right, I can hear your doggos getting a little restless. They want yes. their back back. Barley's Barley's wants you to uh, wants me to give you up. So we'll uh, we'll wrap up there, Lucas. Any final thoughts here, real quick, as we uh, wrap up tonight's show? No, I uh, really love the discussion tonight. Um, 
the great thing about college football is there's usually always stuff to talk about. And uh, I don't think, especially after spring football, I love all the positivity around spring football because everybody's improved. Like you mentioned, everybody's in the best shape since they arrived on campus. Um, you know, the coaches are bringing a different energy this year. That's probably going to show up with the players. Everybody's a national champion right now. So that's why I love spring football. 100%. A lot of optimism. Everyone got all the recruits they want. Everyone's looking great. Everyone's <laughs> in the best shape. Everyone had a great weight, like eight-week weight conditioning, you know, time. Everyone looks great. So, yeah, a lot of optimism. Uh, a lot of optimism, as you said. All right, that's going to do it for the for uh, this episode of Running for the Roses. We'll be back here in a couple weeks to uh, go over uh, some more college football news. I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about then. So, for Lucas Rohde, I'm Ryan Baffle. Lucas, have a great night and uh, stay frosty.